know, the idea is to be able to build what you need when you need it. Again, we already know the answers. It's just restructuring and creating new systems based off sustainable living versus extraction and exploitation. Welcome to the Shio.world podcast, where you will meet women who are transforming the world to be more equitable and sustainable. Your host for today's podcast is the founder of Sheo, Vicki Saunders. Welcome to Sheo.world. Good morning, Winona. How are you today? Good morning, Vicki. I'm great. How are you? I'm all right. Uh, I'm really excited to have this conversation with you and learn more about what you're up to in the world and who you are. So do you want to just do a little intro? Who are you? Uh, why are you here? <laughs> That's a good question. Well, yeah, all great questions. Uh, yeah, Winona Sasher, uh, I am CEO and founder of Maker Studio. It's a green manufacturing and design built firm here in Atlanta. I started in 2017, uh, just started gaining traction around late 2018. Uh, and we, what we do, so we build a really interesting and creative modular shipping container real estate. Why do we do it? Well, a couple of reasons. One, we have an affordable housing crisis. Uh, two, uh, I believe that uh, instead of complaining about the negatives of said gentrification, this is an opportunity for marginalized and communities of color, indigenous groups to gentrify their own communities in a way that creates generational wealth. Uh, and three, my whole purpose really is to inspire and not just sit at tables, to hope to get food that you need, but to build tables in a way that everybody eats. Uh, and so I just happen to use design uh, as a way to do that. Oh, wow. Okay, so much <laughs> there. Thank you so much. That's incredible start. So let's start with the, the beginning. Uh, talk, talk to us a little bit about the affordable housing crisis for those who don't know, like give us a bit of a landscape there. Yeah, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's been a growing issue for a very long time, especially in communities of color, uh, where you have had policies uh, that have been used as tools for segregation, whether it's been redlining or blockbusting. I mean, there's so many different tools, you know, easements, uh, eminent domain, and it's not just in the United States, it's global. Uh, and so what has happened is that as income levels have dropped for, for certain groups of us, uh, uh, for the top wealth, uh, it has increased, which means that the divide has increased, which means that the opportunity to live equitable lives uh, in communities, mixed-use communities, uh, communities um, that might not be as diverse, but communities of choice are getting more and more complicated. And you have people that have to determine, are they going to pay for groceries or are they gonna pay their rent or are they gonna pay for transportation? or are they gonna pay for healthcare? These are concerns and questions that no one should have to wonder which are they gonna be able to afford. I always say that everything starts at home. So if we don't get this together, if we don't create innovative solutions around not just policies and land use and zoning, but also how we build for who we build and who helps us build equitable communities, it's only gonna get worse. And of course, COVID has exacerbated that problem where you have more slumlords taking advantage, evictions. Luckily, a lot of governments are looking at more and moratoriums, but these are just short-term fixes. We need long-term impact. And that means that people should not have to be displaced to be able to figure out how they're gonna to get to work, how they're gonna pay for their groceries. But they should be able to live where they wanna live, age in place, grow in place, and have a voice at the table. 
So this is a scalable problem, which means luckily that there is a scalable solution and that's why I do what I do. Awesome, thank you. And can you, um, can you talk a little bit about gentrification uh, for those who may not understand sort of the complexity behind this and what it means? Yeah, it, well, it, it is very complex. Uh, it's very multidimensional. And a lot of times what happens, so there, I guess I will start, the, the easiest way to start is to look at three different components, capital, land, and construction. And so uh, we know that land costs are increasing. They've been increasing for a very long time. Living in cities where most of the, most of your work is gonna be, most of the jobs and employment centers are gonna be in cities. Uh, and so to live near where you work, which is, which is where you really wanna, the position you wanna be in is almost impossible because the land costs are so high. And a lot of that has to do uh, with market forces that are designed. These are not things that just happen. And so it irritates me when people say, well, you know, some communities live in food deserts. It's not really a desert, right? Because deserts are natural occurrences. These are things that have been designed and planned by policies put in place for those to be able to own and control the market, to own and control the narrative of how people should live and where. Some people use commercial development as that opportunity. Some people use academic institutions, unfortunately, as anchors for gentrification because they buy up property only for a certain group of people, not for those that work uh, not for even professors that work in those institutions. Um, the other component, aside from land costs, uh, is, 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 is construction costs. So construction costs, in fact, I was just reading a couple articles last night uh, that lumber costs have been increasing just exponentially, especially with tariffs and, and all the different kinds of market components, very, very uh, multidimensional. But to build affordable housing is, is not easy for those of us that are in that space because construction costs are high, material costs are high. And as we know, Vicki, it's just not sustainable. We cannot continue to rape and ex extract Mother Earth to build uh, things that we don't need. Uh, and so with that being part of the equation, we have land costs, now you have ex ex exacerbating construction costs, capital. Who's gonna finance uh, the construction of affordable spaces? So what we're seeing, just like other markets, you have almost a venture capitalist approach uh, to developing property, meaning that small localized real estate developers, people like myself who are from communities that we want to impact positively, we can't even afford to play the game of real estate development because that's really what it is. And so you have only a certain group of people, large venture capitalistic type real estate developers uh, who might even be from your city or country, who buy property at a, a, a enormous rates, but they can afford it, get amazing tax benefits. And so all of a sudden you start to see places and spaces that look the same in every city. There is no context, there is no character. Um, and so that means that small developers and builders can't afford to build locally. So now you're squeezing out those that want to build affordable housing, you're squeezing out those that need to live in affordable housing, and we're raping the, the earth to use material sustainably and affordably. So all of those three components lead to what you might consider gentrification. That's not even including racism and racist policies of uh, using highways and using infrastructure to tear communities apart. That's a whole nother conversation. So, yeah. but all of this is part of that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, really, really scary and it's really, really complicated. And it, it's so, 
it's so insidious, right? Like I, mm -hmm. I am, I live in the city of Toronto uh, in Canada, and you know we have this new thing of like laneway houses that have yeah. been um, approved. And I mean, when you talk about the sort of VC mindset and model entering into real estate, like I, um, I swear anything with a hyphenated tech at the end of it, you know, <laughs> yeah. tech, land tech, real estate tech is literally just a signal for more inequality coming in. That's right. It, it's just such a painful word. And so I'm starting to see that in, in this thing too. It's just like, oh, there's like, you know, real estate tech. I'm like, what is that? It's like the signal that, oh, there's, mm -hmm. there's money to be made here off whomever. Right. Um, and so, right. okay. <sighs> Yuck. <laughs> well, and, and Vicky, it's not, it's not, it's not it's, it is yucky because it's not a human centered approach um, and it's not community driven. And, th and those are the, that, 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 that is a, a recipe for disaster. Uh, and you have a lot of people who, uh, you know, we all want a return on our investment and part of gentrification is getting the highest and best return of your investment. My whole comment earlier about gentrifying your own community is that you should be able to get a return on your investment as well, not building a community to be pushed out for someone else to get a return on their investment. We actually had, an, we, we, in fact, we have investors calling us all the time, wanting us to give our house away for nothing after all the money that with equity we put into it because they see it as a, as, as a, as a line item, as a, you know, as a, as a, as a decimal point, they don't see that this is a, a home and there's a difference between a house and a home. And so you have these individuals and institutions, huge institutions who care more about a house and a structure than they do about community. And we actually had an investor stop by and tell us that he didn't know he came to the wrong house <laughs> uh, <laughs> until about five minutes later. Um, and that's what he said, you know, you know, Winona, we could buy this house and the apartment building next to you for a great return. Community doesn't matter. That's what these individuals care about. It is not a human-centered, human-focused, human-led approach to building community. And that's what is insidious. Wow. Okay. So again, it's this like winner takes all, run amok, uh, just monetize absolutely everything we can. Yes. So given that sort of landscape, um, Take us on a bit of a journey for your vision. Like, what do you what do you see around? I mean, just your language around uh, modular shipping container real estate. Cool. Tell me more, uh, yeah. and then tell me how that fits into this human centered approach for livable cities and communities. Sure. Well, I think, um, and I didn't realize until you know being a part of this amazing CEO community. And, and, and meeting with the coaches, MJ and, and, and Dia to actually delve into why I do what I do. I thought I knew, or at least I did, and it's, it's evolved since, which is, which is great, right? And uh, the conclusion for me right now is that, I guess my role really is to, is to inspire individuals where they are, meet people where they are and inspire individuals to look at what they have in a way that can, that can be more of a value add. So using materials, using um, policies, using ideas creatively in a way that you can, you can reapply them uh, for something that's equitable. For us, design is our tool that we use to bridge the high wealth and the, the, the low wealth, the voices, bring both voices at the table and build the table at the same time. The table, the infrastructure happens to be housing or at least the tool, because again, everything starts at home. And what I realized prior to starting Maker Studio uh, was that um, there's an opportunity to reuse creatively and recycle shipping containers 
something that's an abundant source that's just sitting there that is structurally sound. Uh, that is an interesting space because you can fit it on smaller spaces. So it's it's a it's a it's a test into creatively use reusing space and 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 especially spaces in cities where the myth is that there isn't enough space. The myth is that you can't build affordability in in wealthy communities. Well, you can if you look at space differently. Uh, and so started on this quest to test this notion of reusing a material that's that's structurally sound that's built for uh, our climate essentially built for really in my eyes climate change we see storms increasing these things are built for hurricanes right and so what what better opportunity at least from a material standpoint is to use something that's safe and structurally sound for people to thrive and so with that being said what does it take though to make it functional it takes local tradesmen and women who are talented in their own right that you can find next door. These are people who are at the belly of, of this, this very venture capitalistic system of real estate. These are individuals that have talents and welding, have talent. And these are women, of course, as well as men, but specifically minority and indigenous communities who have natural gifts of how to build because we've, that's all that we have done is built for our built solutions that we needed in very creative and vernacular ways. Uh, and so now with that being said, you have the people, you have the material, and you have the idea that you can build something affordably locally, which is important, by people who want to make their own change, control the value chain and the supply chain of materials from the raw material to the end product. That is an interesting conversation in now gentrifying your own community, now making a stance as to uh, what kind of generational wealth structure that you want to have for you, not for someone else to come in and tell you what your market value is. We now can build our own housing. We can build our own modular commercial spaces and clinics and small business spaces affordably and train others how to do that. So we, we started out like any startup uh, you know, building for customers, direct to consumer. And so building our small shipping container micro homes, I don't call them tiny homes because it's a whole different context, uh, but micro homes <clears throat> so that people can understand what it's like to feel, touch and live in a shipping container. And I get that all the time. What, who wants to want to live in one of those? Well, they're actually quite comfortable uh, if, you, if you have quality work. And so we, we've started building these units Got a lot of great feedback, a lot of interest in just the opportunity to think differently about sustainability and reuse of materials. That's, that's also part of it. We are not using as much lumber, if any, for what we're doing. We're not about extracting and exploiting labor and the earth. And so that also was another piece of why we're using shipping containers. And the modular component is because there's so many spaces, yeah, if we built conventionally, we couldn't do, but building small spaces, we can fit into spaces that most people don't even know, you know, are, are there when you walk around cities, alleys, parking lots. These are spaces that are just sitting there that can be utilized and, and, and valued because you're now building for more people who otherwise wouldn't, able, wouldn't have been able to afford it. So we're building affordably so that we can rent spaces affordably for people. That's where we are now. We're now transitioning, especially because of CEO's help and work into more of a B2B model so that we can build more scale up production uh, and build across the globe. So what does that mean? That means that we can't just build one or two units at a time. That means that we need to ramp up production uh, and, and get our first manu micro manufacturing space. 
we've noticed in this in, in, in this industry, um, this very interesting intersection of construction and manufacturing, and of course, we bring in the green component, the sustainability component, um, that uh, other competitors, you know, they typically have two, 300,000 square feet factories. That's not sustainable in our eyes. That's not what we want to do. What our big vision is, is to create micro factories in communities of color, meeting people where they are, where they have, where they have transit stops where they can get to work uh, and help us build these units, not just here in Atlanta where we're headquartered, but in other cities across the country and across the globe. I mean, the cool part is our shipping containers, you know, that's what they are, right? So you can ship them literally uh, across the world. Uh, that, that makes it a lot more efficient. And so these micro factories, again, going back to reuse, reusing and redeveloping blighted properties in cities, warehouses, and turning those into our factories. So it's, it's, it's a really interesting conversation around not just reusing materials and, uh, and, and creating more value. <clears throat> it's also a conversation around redeveloping uh, real estate that usually is, is unattainable and inaccessible to communities that are there. We're saying that's unacceptable and creating collective ownership around these micro factories so that it's not about maker studio, it's not about me, it's about those that live there to be able to build their change, to be able to own their change and to be able to own the value chain uh, of what they do in their community so they don't have to worry about being displaced. They control that narrative. So that's a larger vision. And of course, logistically it helps us because then we can ship our products to other cities, from other cities to other countries. So that's our, that's our big vision and that's our goal. Again, it's more than just a shipping container. We just happen to use that as our method of choice for affordable and sustainable construction. Well, and presumably there are shipping containers all over the place sitting. Yep. <laughs> it's not that you have to ship shipping containers. They probably exist in a lot of the markets that you're going to, right? That's true, uh, you know, especially because of COVID, uh, it, it, you know, we are not exporting a whole lot. Uh, and so we have, especially in the United States, a tremendous amount of containers available. Um, and so that makes it easier to get our hands on uh, inventory. And of course we use uh, used containers, not new ones. I will say that because of COVID in the market, it's hard to get your hands on new containers, which that's not what we're using anyway. It's all about reuse and recycling. Uh, and, and, and of course, you know, major cities, typically except for Atlanta, Atlanta is an interesting city, but usually are near large bodies of water. You know, so if you look at cities across the country, you know, my background is in city planning, you look at LA, and you look at Detroit, uh, you look at other uh, places in Michigan, we're actually taking a business trip next week uh, to look at potentially another community that's interested in one of our micro factories. And you look at city, you know, New York City, Queens, you know, you look at all of these major cities in the United States and across the globe, and you realize they're always near water or on water for trade. And so that also means you have access to ports, which have containers. Uh, and so logistically, it just makes sense for us to connect to existing infrastructure, not creating something new, just a different way of applying what's already what's already been done. So that that that's what our big vision is. And of course, that is a workforce training and develop economic development conversation because now we're hiring wherever we, we open up a micro factory. You know, it's uh, one of my favorite things about talking to uh, founders in the CEO community is all the new language, like mm. the, de the deconditioning, the decolonization of our thinking. Uh, <laughs> and so I'm just like micro manufacturing spaces. Um, you know, we're not about exploiting or extracting labor sustainable reuse of materials, micro homes, collective ownership. I'm just saying if you blighted properties, controlling the value and supply chain, like 
oh my gosh, yes, 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 yes capital letters, uh, and building generational wealth. So with all of these people, you know, as, as we're listening to you talk about this vision for the future, about the difference, there's just a lot of deconditioning that we all need to have. Uh, and I'm getting mm -hmm. so excited about just the holistic nature of this. It's not just like we're doing housing over here to the side. It's like completely embedded in mm -hmm. values based mm -hmm. uh, and grounded on a set of uh, principles that you come, you know, you build up from uh, in many cases. And so I wonder, uh, I, have, I have so many wonderings, but uh, one thought is really uh, what, so you talked about two to 300,000 square foot spaces for traditional kind of factories to do things. What does a micro manufacturing space look like and what would you need to do that? That's a great question. Uh, so what we're looking at uh, is about 10 to 15,000 square feet spaces, which is a big difference <laughs> than the two, 300,000 square foot spaces. Uh, it, you know, it's more intimate. Uh, it allows us uh, to have better quality control. Uh, it and it's easier to find spaces like that uh, that have been abandoned and blighted in urban communities and even in rural communities as well. Uh, now, let's say we're interested in, or there's a community uh, on, on a reservation that's interested um, in working with us and that's a lot of land that probably doesn't have existing blighted warehouses because it's not an urban environment, which is fine. Cool thing about shipping containers is you can build your own 10,000 square foot space fairly easily because you can put containers together like Legos and now all of a sudden you have a factory built out of containers to build containers. <laughs> so there's so many opportunities um, how to make that work. But we are looking at 10 to 15,000 square feet on average. Uh, there's of course always room to grow but from a cost standpoint, from an opportunity to redevelop uh, and remodel some of those spaces, it uh, keeps your costs low. It keeps quality control easier. Uh, we are right now in the middle of fundraising our next capital rounds uh, to raise 600K. Uh, and we just got a 200K commitment last Friday. So really excited about that for a total of 700 capital for this angel raise. Uh, and this will allow us to purchase, uh, out, acquire a manufacturing space here in Atlanta it's about 10,000 square feet. Uh, and that would also allow us to upfit the space with the equipment, uh, getting some of the electrical work needed to go ahead and, and go. It also would allow us to have some um, funding so that we can do our own real estate development, affordable housing projects. You know, what's been frustrating in this space too is I mentioned capital earlier is one of the three major uh, components to gentrification. Well, it's also capital on the financing side. And it's very difficult of finding that conventional banks are not that creative in a lot of ways, unfortunately, especially when it's around underwriting new, more sustainable methods of construction, which is interesting. Again, like you said, we have a lot of learning to do. <laughs> and so for us, we don't have time to wait for conventional systems to get it. Uh, and so that means we have to create our own system, which means we need to build our own container modular uh, uh, affordable housing, mixed use, and multifamily developments. So part of the funding is for us to do the business development and partnership, st a strategic partnership development needed uh, so that we can go ahead and acquire property to build our own uh, multifamily affordable apartments out of our shipping containers. And that way we can begin to scale even that uh, type of, of housing unit. It's called the missing middle. Uh, right now, you know, unfortunately our cities and towns have been rezoned to promote all only single family uses, we know that's not accept, that's not accept, accessible, it's not equitable. Everybody can't afford a single family home. But what we do need, you know, we need more affordable apartments, we need more affordable duplexes. We can build these things on smaller lots 
using shipping containers because they're small spaces and we can stack them. So that's the space that we need. Also part of our standard operating procedures is that you know these spaces need to be near transit stops so that we always have access our employees always have access where they can live, work, play, and walk or bike or ride transit um, to our facility, which lessens that carbon footprint on that end as well. So it's not just lessening our carbon footprint sustainably of how we build, because we're building with less materials and with the manufacturing space, we don't need as, as, as many, um, you know, um, um, travel time. We don't have to go to sites every day. Also on the other side of that operational piece is, is, is how we, run a business sustainably, right? And so making sure that even our employees don't have to have a car to get to work and have to figure out how to pay a house note or, or mortgage or rent versus having a car to work for us. No, we, we're by a transit stop or we're in a walkable space. So it is a very holistic approach to manufacturing that I haven't really seen in a very long time. I mean, you used to see this pre-World War II, right? Where you live near your factory. Again, it's not new, it's just applying it in a different way. And what we build, this whole notion of urban onshoring and bringing jobs back to our, our urban cores, uh, creating more generational wealth, as I mentioned earlier. You know, the idea is to be able to build what you need when you need it. And we, we noticed that was a big problem during COVID. Again, we already know the answers. It's just restructuring and creating new systems based off sustainable living versus extraction and exploitation. Really fascinating. Um, I have so many. First of all, I just have all these new words in my head. So thanks. <laughs> uh, urban onshoring. Just I just keep writing down these like uh, new phrases because I I do feel like to get to the new world you have to new, learn a new language or at least yes. get down to the core uh, mm -hmm. of of where we want to go. And so uh, just a last thing, and I, I want to do a series with you because this is like really fascinating, and I have a million ideas <laughs> that I want to connect you with. Um, mm -hmm. One of the questions around sort of consumer versus commercial. Do you straddle those two areas? Do you have a preference for commercial versus uh, consumer or how do you think about that? I think for us, it's just gonna be, a, a we prefer a balance of yeah. the two. Okay. Um, yeah, there, there, there is no preference because the need is just so great. Right. Uh, and I, I will say though, that, that understanding that balance is going to really help us in our, as we scale and raise funds and, and pilot our first micro factory here in Atlanta, how we how we set up our manufacturing capabilities to handle both. Uh, so that, uh, you know, we, we have both the, the consumer customization opportunities and how we operate, but also the more standardized, larger business, uh, commercialized uh, opportunities um, and, and how we built those spaces for that industry more efficiently and effectively. But, but both of those are critical to our revenue stream and our model uh, and critical, critical to how we ramp up production uh, as, and critical to how we scale in other cities. Because there's even though the need is great for affordable housing, uh, you know, the more things change, the more things are the same. You still have different conditions in different cities. You still have different needs depending on whatever the client wants. Uh, and so I, I, I say that we really, 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 even right now, prior to having our manufacturing space that we're raising money for, we are learning a lot about uh, how to balance the level of quality with how we build sustainably and in a standardized way so that we can build 10, 20 housing units in a month versus one or two a time at, you know, in a year. That's just not working. And so having that balance of, of consumer 
um, having that balance of larger businesses and being able to balance that with our operations is really going to help us to grow in a way that increases our margins 10 to 15 percent in the next year or so uh, and will allow us to build other micro factories at least our goal is five cities total in the United States and uh, three abroad and so we really have to um, we really have to balance that and I think that's just going to be critical to our success uh, and being able to deploy very creative and affordable uh, housing, whether it's housing, commercial, community spaces, clinics, you name it, uh, anything we can build it. There's so many verticals and that's that's what's difficult about what we do. Yeah. Uh, and so our impact space really is more around the housing component. And even with that, and as we, we've spoken a little bit about here, Vicki, it's not just a property owner that's in, that, that we have built for. Now you're talking about larger, larger consumers, larger businesses, who are interested and invested and really figuring out how do we solve this housing crisis. It's, it affects everybody. And a big part of that is education because we also know that though a lot of people that will say, you know, I, we believe black lives matter, we believe indigenous lives matter, uh, don't necessarily want black lives and indigenous communities living next to them. And so that's also part of that vocabulary that you mentioned of how do we connect the dots so that we're building for everybody but it's all about elevating those that need access, that that should have access, that created the communities that we live anyway. You know, this is this is an indigenous platform, and and but for some reason, and we know the reasons, there's not equitable access. Well, we're saying we want these communities to build their own access because they deserve it. It, it is theirs, and how do we do that? And we use design to do that. We want everyone to be able to build their own and get everyone. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, I am so with you. Thank you so much, Winona. Thank you. Virgin, this is, is great. Like level one. Okay, people. <laughs> right. We'll send all these words out into the universe. Uh, and and so yes. uh, we'll we're gonna start connecting you even more as as we learn more about what you're doing and what your goals are. Uh, I hope this builds awareness Maybe. in the community to make the connections and find the people that I uh, will support you on your vision and thank you so much for your leadership and what you're doing. It's just incredible. Well, Vicki, I can't say enough about your work. Uh, it, it has been a tremendous journey uh, with CEO. I am so excited to be part of this community. Um, it, it is, it's just been life-changing personally and professionally. Uh, and um, there's nothing like it. And I hope we'll see more of CEO and similar CEOs globally. What you're doing is needed. You're needed. And just can't thank you enough. Our team can't thank you enough. <laughs> uh, and we are so excited to walk this 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 path with you. Uh, so thank you for everything that you do. Thank you, Winana. <laughs> thank you for listening to the Shio.world podcast. Like, comment, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends. We invite you to join a global community of radically generous women at Shio.world. <laughs>